Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. We help men communicate and build empathy. It's nice seeing you again, Albert. We are back at it here in recordings. And, you know, I think we had a lot going on this last week, both you and I. And, um, you know, we're here with Neil today. He's coming back on, back by popular demand. And we're just going to chat and just kind of have an open forum. But I want to I want to hear about you. You said you're going to leave it um, until we hit record as to, to what happened. So lay it on us, man. What's up? All right. Yeah, we're talking Neil Barrett, uh, Standard and Strange, just to make sure our, our listeners know, um, who is very popular. P- folks loved the, the first chat we had with him. So we invited him back. Yeah, it was just, um, it was a, a very, very busy, very hairy kind of week. And uh, one of the one of the immediate takeaways was realizing how we get spun by uh, something that happens. And while we're spinning, other things happen and we can then lose track of what's actually spinning us. And what was spinning me was anger. Ooh. And the anger was coming from a very specific place. And um, it wasn't, it's not easy to admit, but I was having like extreme anger um, at our government um, because I'm watching <laughs> my industry my, the music industry go through terrible, terrible times. And I believe wholeheartedly that the mismanagement of this pandemic by the government is a major reason why we're in as deep a hole as we're in. And I found myself very, very angry. And I started popping off at people online that I normally just let them do their thing. Um, and unfortunately I also popped off at people, a couple of people who really were meaning to just communicate with me something. And I overreacted, including one, one listener who, you know, questioned our, our episode of, you know, three white dudes talking about racism. And, you know, the, the criticism was, was just a real, I just like an honest observation. And I took it as a personal attack and I overreacted and, and frankly acted like an idiot. Um, so anyway, long story short, the two lessons uh, that I learned was like, be careful when you're spinning. Uh, that's not a good time to shoot. Uh, you might want to stop before you start shooting at things. And um, the other lesson was what really bailed me out was was calling some friends. I needed to call uh, and talk to some friends. Uh, I have a terrible tendency to just uh, try to pretend I'm not having a bad day. And then I start really getting wound up and having a much worse day. So Neil is actually one of the dudes I called. Oh, well, great, Neil. Thanks for hanging in there. Um, I totally feel the friendship side of that. And, you know, I was like, man, Albert, you angry? Like, I don't think I've ever seen you like mildly upset. And then once you said uh, who it was directed to, I was like, yep, okay. I totally understand that. Um, Yeah, I've been feeling anger, mostly disappointment. And just like, where, why? Like just questioning why, like what is happening with our government right now? Just not even protecting us, not leading us. And it, it really hurts and kind of like makes uh, the citizenship um, of being an American just, I don't know, not have as, as much value. Um, so I, I totally feel you on that um, as well as the friends, because um, if anyone read my post earlier this week, my car broke down. I was kind of off offline for a little bit, trying to deal with that. And if I wasn't able to call, you know, some, some close friends and coworkers that lived in the area where my car broke down, like I'd, I'd be stranded. I'd be out of way more money than, um, I, you know, it took to fix my car. And I just got to say, like, 
you know, just making that call and just knowing that like, Hey, like, man, I, I have a friend that I can call on drop of the hat. They will stop what they're doing and come and help me. Like that just like made me realize like how powerful friendship is. Cause a friend in need is a friend indeed. And I just hope so much that I can return those favors because like, it was just crazy how like everything aligned that it just like, I, I made a phone call and just like everyone came out to help. And it was just like so beautiful. And <laughs> I'm like, I was like tearing up right now. But um, it was just so nice that like, they were all there for me. And, you know, that just goes to show the power of friendship. And I just want to say, Albert, you are a very good friend. And thank you for being there, man. Like, you're, you're a great guy. I love you. Oh, man. You're, that's amazing. I'm sorry. I mean, obviously, I don't live close enough to come pick you up in Pittsburgh. Yeah. It would have taken me several, like, what, 12 hours? I don't even know. But I want to mention also, I wasn't just angry about me and my company and my industry. Mm-hmm. It's the millions of people across the country who, this is not a joke. You yeah. do not play politics and jokes with a public health emergency. And that is going to cost hundreds of millions, billions, maybe more dollars, many more lives, so much anxiety because people are playing joke about whether or not we need a serious government. That is really bad stuff. So it wasn't just anger for my own little world. It's anger for the whole country. And also the fact that there's been a month of protests about a, a very, very critical issue. And these bozos cannot put together one moment where they look like adults listening and doing something about a serious problem. So that was making me extra angry as well. So now let's let Neil jump in. What was going on with you this week, Neil? It's been a busy week uh, at work. Just a lot of boxes coming in. Um, it's been that way for the last few months, which you know, I'm happy about, I'm happy that, that it's busy and we've got work to do and we're not just standing around with crickets chirping. Um, I've been following the pandemic really closely, you, both what's going on in the Bay Area and in Santa Fe, because we have stores there. And, you know, I want to make a good decision about how and when we reopen. And it's, yeah, I'm pretty damn disappointed too, basically, <laughs> sum it up. Uh, I'm pissed off too. Yeah. about it. it just we're arguing about basics that we should should never have been arguing about like about wearing a mask don't be a dick wear a mask <laughs> yep <laughs> uh, uh you know when i was looking at the infection rates in santa fe county because they allowed businesses retail businesses to open about a month ago and my approach is i'm skeptical and i'll wait and see what happens because I don't trust the general American public to be disciplined in this pandemic. And I was looking at the cases in Santa Fe County, and they've been pretty flat, very small amount of growth, very low overall caseload. Talked with the, you know, the team there, and they said, yeah, you know, we feel comfortable reopening under the right guidelines. Um, and I said, okay, let me think about it. <clears throat> so then I started looking at everything surrounding Santa Fe (laughs) and all the cases are just spiking all around it. And we'd be open on the weekends for walk-in traffic. Santa Fe is a town where a lot of people go on the weekends for a short out of town trip. And once I sort of dug into that data more, I was like, no way. And a few days later, 
Now New Mexico is rolling back. They're sort of reopening. They're going backwards. Texas is having huge spikes. Arizona is having huge spikes. Oklahoma is having huge spikes. And so, yeah, it, it was disappointing, but I'm not going to take a risk. I mean, sure, I could reopen. I could make a little bit of money, but at what risk? Like someone dies? Many people die? <laughs> no. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah, seriously, fuck that. I totally agree. And the retail's <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> like I'm I'm working right now, like with the public it like inside of the store and man, it's crazy. And we had to actually kick someone out for not wearing a mask. Like insanity. It's like posted on signage. It's like it's it's a law in Allegheny County right now. Like it's just what wear the damn mask. And um were they belligerent about it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, my buddy, uh, Matt and I, the guy who actually I was <laughs> stranded at his house, uh, we were working, just helping our customers out, doing doing the you know regular thing. And he comes in and he like, you know, has it half on and we like ask him to, to put it on. He asks him, the security guard, um, we have like four security guards there to enforce this regulation and like people in and out. And he's like, yeah, put on your mask. And He's like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. And he goes, I'm claustrophobic. And we're like, we don't care. Put on the mask or else. And it's like, and then he goes, and then he calls us fucking retards. And we just kicked oh, him out Jesus. like right yep. then and there. And then on his way out, he says like, all oh, these fucking liberal pieces of shit. And we're just <laughs> like, okay, one, how is safety anywhere political? And how does that make us dumber than you? And two, like, how has this gotten politicized where that, like, public safety is, you know, a, a left or right thing? And I, I saw a meme, and I want to get your guys' uh, opinion on it. It's um, the way we uh, sort of advertised mask wearing was to help out other Americans and that we should learn our audience more because Americans don't really like to help out other Americans. Um, so I kind of wanted to put put that into play and just see how – how you guys feel about that? Cause like, is it really true that we are more self-centered than we think? Or like, is like the mass population just, you know, are, are they really out to get one another? I mean, I don't know, but like it's, oh, it's political and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Neil, I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'll jump in here. I just have to, I honestly think it comes from one, one source. It's a total lack of leadership. If, if the people at the top, make a joke out of it and incite people to be petulant children because our, our culture is an adolescent culture. America is just a teenager. Teenagers have youthfulness, ardor, and energy, but they have very little reason and they have very little self-control. Our country just doesn't want to be an adult. An adult actually thinks logically and acts rationally, a, a true adult, because that's what life experience gives us, the ability to sometimes think through our mistakes and come up with a more rational approach. So this is all about leadership. When you add that, and I hate, I'm going to get the hate mail. It, you get that, that stupidity going out nonstop through right-wing radio and Fox News. And after a while, it is such a flow of anger being put out where people do think that that mask is infringing on their constitutional rights. And I mean, several people gave me this explanation and the more they said it, I'm thinking that's pretty much what it is. Pretty simple. Mr. Neal? 
<laughs> Sorry. Well, I would I would actually disagree that Americans overall don't like helping each other out because I've seen a lot of people recently, and if you look throughout the history of the country, when shit gets pretty real, there's a big group of people that band together and help lift each other up. Uh, unfortunately, our brains are wired in such a way is that we the negative experiences we have make more of an impact on our memory. So that's what you tend to remember. Um, however, there are a lot of just really just just shitty people out there. I mean, you know, I, my business was open to the public for eight years. You know, you see the you see the the whole spectrum of the public, good and bad. Uh, what we saw was mostly good, but we just did have some puzzlingly rude or difficult or insulting people. And I always kind of chalk that up as to when someone is being like irrationally negative towards you or a situation, it's more about them and any insecurities or fears they may have about it or some unresolved conflict that's specific to them. And that's how they're kind of dealing with it and trying to work it out. They're just doing it in a really unproductive way. Yeah, I feel like a lot of what's going on is unresolved conflict with within people within this country and within the government. I mean, you know, if, if we could say, you know, 2020 is something right now, it's like it is unresolved conflict because, I mean, just, just look outside and you'll see it. Um, and I, I think both politically and socially, we have a lot to do. Um, and especially like, you know, I, I see you, you know, with your, your posts and your stories donating 11% of your revenue. I mean, I like that just says, Hey, like, you know, if there's something I need to get from Neil, I'm doing it, you know, cause he's Thanks. actually supporting people. Um, have you noticed any different kind of reception to that or any kind of like, you know, negative? Um, yeah, we've had, it? we've had a lot of negative feedback. Well, not a lot. Um, so, you know, one, since the pandemic started, we started becoming a little bit more political than normal in our marketing over email and Instagram. And once, you know, George Floyd was murdered, we, you know, Jeremy, he's my business partner, we kind of got together and we were talking about it like, we need to do more. So we started um, being a lot more vocal about issues around social justice that we care about. Uh, and we have cared about for a long time, but never really did anything about it. And this, you know, this sort of prompted us for like, you know, we've kind of, we've been doing a little bit of like charitable donations or paying our staff salaries in full during the pandemic. We've stepped it up and it, it well, it worked because, you know, our staff wasn't, you know, the, the paying them worked, but also like it, it, it made us feel really good. Um, it made us feel that what we were doing was even more important than normal. I mean, cause let's face it, no one needs expensive jeans or boots to live, but, but it's what, it's what we do. It's our jobs. And we got a lot of really positive feedback from our customers too. Like, that's great that, you know, you're taking care of your team. You know, unfortunately it seems to be a pretty common experience in America to work for a company that just fucks you over. <laughs> in their interest, like where their, their net benefit is minuscule, but you're like the net uh, negative benefit to you is astronomical. Right. And so 
you know, we, we, we've done a fundraiser tea. We launched yesterday uh, for black trans lives. I don't know if you guys saw that or not. We so we're donating, mm-hmm. yeah, we're donating all the profits to a couple organizations that support black trans people and trans people of color. Cause they're one of the most marginalized communities in the country. Um, but we've had to fire about 15 racists that have replied to our emails and like, couldn't just quietly unsubscribe if that's not what they wanted to hear. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, I get why people might want to unsubscribe. Maybe that's just, just not what they're interested in, or maybe they get a lot of, they care about that info and they get it from a lot of other sources and they just want to hear product about product from us. That's fine. But when they open their mouths, uh, and expose themselves as ignorant racists, then we fire them as customers. <laughs> Cause I have no patience and no tolerance for that kind of bullshit. Um, you know, one guy was upset that we acknowledged rampant racism in the criminal justice system. That's when we were donating 11% of our revenue for the week to national bailout that helps incarcerated people of color. Um, and then we sent him a few links that were like, well, here's why we're doing this and why we think it's important. And then he just started using the N word a bunch. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, another guy demanded that we stay in our lane and because he was upset that we were integrating politics into our marketing. And he demanded that we only send him emails about products. So we told him that we own the road because we built it and we're going to drive on it however we damn well please. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we started getting verbally abusive, like... Uh, insulting the staff he called me a, a femboy and, and a mutant and i just kind of laughed at that i was like femboy yeah i'll take that some mornings i wake up and i feel a little bit more femme than normal you know that happens you know but mutant i'm proud to be a mutant because that means that like i'm an outsider i'm an outcast <laughs> fuck yeah that is uh, the first time I've heard that as like a derogatory word. Like you mutant. Yeah, a mutant. I was like, what is this? Like, is this like the early nineties? Like, is this a, a mutant teenage mutant ninja turtles movie? Yeah, like, they, what's going on? They're pretty shitty insults, but I just chuckled at them. But anyway, so I go to Bantam and I look that he had pre-ordered two pairs of Wesco boots from us, and which means he put a deposit down. We make the boots, and then when they're done, he pays for the rest of them. But the boots were still in production. So um, I, I issue him a refund, and then I call up Wesco, and I say, hey, are we able to cancel these two orders? Are we too far along in the production queue or not? And, you know, if, if they weren't too far along and we couldn't cancel them, I would have taken them, paid for them, and then just – kind of put them up for auction and donated all the sales to a charity that would probably piss this guy off. And anyways, Wesco was able to cancel them. And I said, you know, Hey, we're banning this guy because he's being racist and abusive towards us. And, you know, we're not going to put up with that. And they said, sure. So then once I give you, give him the refund, he gets even angrier and he just says, I'm going to call up, I'm going to call Wesco and I'm going to file a complaint and you're going to get your dealer account taken away and this and that. And I just said, sure, 
go ahead. Good luck, dude. <laughs> so he called up Wesco and ranted about us to them. And, you know, they basically told them that, no, they won't make the boots either because they won't put up with it. So um, then we had another guy. Let's see. He emailed saying that Black Lives Matter was funded by George Soros to conduct violence against white people and especially white owned businesses. And that how dare we support it? That sounds familiar to me. <laughs> yeah, it was from my dad. Yes, that's the reason. Yeah. I remember yeah. you told me that story. So, <laughs> so I banned my own father from my own store. That happened a couple weeks ago. Oh uh, you okay, know, not funny. Not funny. I mean, no, it was, it's it mind blowing. Neil, shitty. has anything further happened since then? Did he? There was there like a follow up call from him or you to your dad. Was there any chance of of uh, another moment to address this, or is this one kind of going to just be closed for a while? Um, I mean, I was really angry, so I just replied to him. I'll say this politely: fuck off. And my dad's Mormon, and if I use, you know, the F word with him, I know it's very offensive to him. But the reason why I use that is because I wanted him to feel somewhat near offended as I felt by him. So, you know, he, he played the, the how dare you use a swear with me card, and I called him out on the hypocrisy of that bullshit. Um, and then it just sort of, it went, kind of went downhill from there, but I did tell him, I was like, look, this is why this is offensive to me. You can't say this kind of shit. We have a great relationship, but the one sticking point is like politics. Anytime we've ever talked about politics over the last 15 years, nothing good has come of it. You know, and we had agreed on a ban on politics because it was just, you know, it was just this this toxic thing that we would just devolve and become angry at each other. And it, it, like, what's the point of that? And I told them, if, you know, you've got two, you're at a crossroads, you have two choices. One, apologize to me and ne just never talk about politics again. Everything will be cool. Or you can continue talking about politics with me, but you're not going to have a relationship with me. Like, those are your choices. And he just replied with this long email about how I was basically, it was, he, he spun this story about how I was sort of like the, the wayward misled youth. And if only, a, you know, I understood what was really going on and he was there to fix it. But that, of course, included a bunch more racist conspiracy theories he had gotten from Fox News and Rush Limbaugh. So... I just said, okay, you made your choice. I'm going to put you in timeout for a little bit. Don't call me. So it's not like I'm never going to talk to him again, but he's on the timeout. I know that conversation with, with my parents quite a bit. Um, they are Fox News right-wing people, and it's tough. And, you know, I had that conversation with my dad, too, about, like, what what is the difference between black lives matter and all lives matter because he's straight up like wrote me an email saying you know hey like all this and that all lives matter and you know i was like whoa dad like <laughs> pump the brakes here bud like <laughs> this this is not where you want to be talking about right now 
And he's like, wait, no, like, no, like I really truly feel that like they all do. I'm like, okay, here's why that's not cool. And, you know, gave him all the lists. Mm-hmm. And then I saw him with my two best friends and uh, my, my two best friends and, and me included, we're all in inner uh, racial relationships. Um, my friend, Ben, he's dating a black woman. Um, my buddy, Zach, he's uh, Middle Eastern and he's dating a white woman. So it's like, dad, like you understand that like me, like your two like other sons, like the two people that spent the most time at our house and like with me my entire life, like we are like the new generation, like, like racial divide is, is not a thing. Like we, we embrace that. And by saying like, by overlooking black lives, like you're missing the point. And, you know, we had a, you know, a long conversation about it. Um, it was great. Like it was, you know, we we're just kicking back, drinking beers on my porch and it was like a real. It was like the first like healthy conversation we had about politics in a really long time because they are super Trump supporters, and I'm just like, you know, just okay. We'll we'll stop there. But, um, you know, it, it was it was good to see because like it was like us three kind of being like, yo, here's where you're wrong, um, and him kind of just being like, oh, okay, like all right, I I see that side, and it's like here are the real world examples, like your grandchild is black. Like, how can you not say black lives matter? <laughs> so it's, it's crazy having these conversations with people, especially family, because it's really drawing lines in the sand and it's really challenging relationships. And I think what, you know, 2020 is like, you know, conversations and, and what it's really about is, you know, safety, um, racial justice, social justice, it's really like, again, it's polarizing, you know, and that's kind of America's thing right now, but it's, it's kind of really just kind of bringing the the good and the bad out. And I don't know about you guys, but I feel like, I mean, like, um, oh man, who said it? Um, but we're living in history and we need to make, make these, I think actually it was Neil. You think it was you? <laughs> it's like, we need to, um, we need to like make these, these changes and apply them to right now. So um, we actually need to have the conversations, good, bad, or ugly. Adam, you said before, unresolved yeah. conflict. With unresolved the conflict. And that's, ba- that's basically it. The, there is an article, and I absolutely urge, I will, sure. we'll have to put it up in the notes. Uh, there's a New Yorker article that goes back. Uh, to James Baldwin, all the time. who I talk about all the time now, and who's having a major moment now in our culture. Everybody's talking about James Baldwin, our prophet's voice finally being heard. But it's a very simple, very simple point uh, being made, is that the minute you be- begin to decouple American exceptionalism from race, then white people have to have an entirely different idea about their country. If you start to say we are not perfect from the inception. If you don't fully embrace what was done and for how long and the injustice that was done and is done to into the present, then the mythology of this equal, this beautiful, you know, the, the beautiful picture of the founding fathers signing and they all look so incredibly enlightened and there's light flowing from their beautiful white faces. The minute you take apart that mythology, James Baldwin was saying, you have to tell a different story. And 
why why can't a contemporary American be okay with just owning up to it? I mean, they did it in Nazi Germany. Germans today confronted and accepted that their country produced Nazism and destroyed millions of people and murdered them. If they can make peace with that, then we can make peace with, we had slavery, and then we had various ways that we, we maintained racism in our culture. We can live with that. That is not the worst thing to live with. But let's not repeat Germany's mistake. Let's not take the country down to the very bottom, to annihilation, before we say, hey, we should have changed our, our narrative here. What do you know? What do you know? There's not a superior race. What do you know? It's pretty simple. We're all equal. We can live with that. Now let's fucking move on. This should not take years. It should not take decades. It should not take centuries. We could do it in a week. It's not that hard. Tell the truth. The truth is there. The history is there. It's not that bad. We can live with it. We, what we can't live with is not resolving truth. it. Mm -hmm. That's what we can't live with. We're all, we're all dying and choking. And even people who don't eat this stuff have to choke on it because other people are serving it up everywhere. So I'll be happy to get politics out of everything. I'll get off my soapbox tomorrow. But don't give me racist policies and don't give me stupid government. That means I can't just go and have my pursuit of happiness and watch my fellow citizens have their pursuits of happiness. And that's from what you said before, unresolved conflict. This is what has to happen now. And that's why this is a reckoning. And we've had reckonings before. That's why James Bolton said, fire next time. We've had the fire now. What's after the fire? That's the real scary part is what's next? What happens if this doesn't get resolved? Um, someone in North Carolina, an ex-cop, said, I'm ready for the race war. Is that really what we're up against? Is that really what we're looking forward to is having a war with ourselves? Or can we actually resolve this conflict? I, it boggles my mind that... And that's the whole thing is that there's no conflict. Yeah. The conflict has, is not about race at all. It's actually about the story that we are telling ourselves about our country. Mm -hmm. that, the minute we just accept it, then we can move to the next place, which is actually living according to the ideals of the country. Then we can actually celebrate. The day that we could all be participate in this wonderful story, it can't be a story where any one group is going to be left out of the story. The minute that happens, it's not the America we think it is. Yeah. What happened to the melting pot? Like that was like one of the first things I learned. We all came here to, to chase the American dream and the American dream isn't the American dream for everyone. And it's, it's so heartbreaking. Neil, it looked like you were about to, to pop in there. Um, about the boogaloos. <laughs> the boogaloos. <laughs> what about them? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm just disappointed that, <clears throat> their branding is fucking awful. But I, th I think, I think like all these people sort of advocating and looking forward to a race war that gives them a sense of purpose in their life. That gives them a role to play. 
And that's, that's filling a void for them or many voids in some capacity. Uh, and it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's infuriating. It's fucked up. Uh, it's wrong. That's the avenue that they're choosing to find that purpose. Right. That that is for something that's evil. They're, they're looking forward to, I guess, killing people who aren't white so that they can reclaim power. But it's just, it's all very, very just depressing and saddening to me that there's a lot of people in a lot of pain right now on, on, in this country. And from, you know, the, all of the systemic injustice and racism that's been built into our country since its inception to, you know, people like your parents, Adam, and my parents who were just on the Fox News team, you know, they're, they're searching for something that, for a solution to a problem that they're having, like with their identity, I think. Like so many of the people in my family who we just clash with politics about and whenever we discuss politics, it starts to get very heated very quickly. And it's never, it's never a dialogue. It's always like a kind of devolves into a shouting match, but I think it's because they're, they feel their political views are so strongly tied to their identity of who they are, that if you challenge their worldview, you're challenging their sense of self-worth as a person. And that's something that's just, too difficult for them to bear and to confront. So they just go on the attack to defend themselves. It's almost reflexive. Um, that's, exact, that's exactly that, the point that I was making in, in the reference I, yeah. I made to James Baldwin. And specifically the article that I mentioned in the New Yorker is why people are talking about monuments and you know why you have the president trying to defend keeping Confederate monuments. Because the minute you take them all down and admit why you took them down and why they deserve to be down, you have to reconsider and retell the story. Then it's then the 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 lost cause, all the things that are really going on and the and the and the, and the racist stuff that's underpinning all of it. Once that comes down, that's like, well, who am I? Who are we? It's amazing with everything going on that that's something we're hearing a, the leader of the country say is a, a priority. We are going to protect those Confederate monuments. That's our heritage. That's our heritage. You tell me, what do you think our means in that sense? So um, I think what you're, you're really right, uh, Neil, about the identity. It is very much, uh, you know, why people don't understand it's better to have an identity rooted in a beautiful idea than a, than a ridiculous narrative that somebody else handed you and fired into your brain in, in propaganda style. But I guess if you've, drunk that Kool-Aid, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to admit that you've, that you've done that. Well, I mean, you also have to have a, you know, a strong foundation of just humility and confidence in yourself and being open to change, right. To be able to like, sort of make that progress. Be, able um, to be vulnerable, right. <laughs> and be vulnerable. There you go. Be vulnerable <laughs> in it. And like, accept that, you know, you may be wrong about something, but there's usually a way for you to change that. It's interesting. I heard a parent, I don't want to say a specific name, 
because it's a personal story. And it was a, a parent who told me that they were feeling terrible that when their kid came out to them, they they did not take it well. And they made the, the kid feel terrible. And he said it was one of the biggest regrets of his life, the father who told me this story. And he said, you know, I really thought the reason was that I was just really afraid that they could not be happy in this country um, being a gay person, that it just would never happen that they'd be okay. And I just was trying to protect, protect my son. And that was a really, that was a really powerful thing to hear. It was just a person coming to terms with that thing that you think you're protecting actually didn't provide the protection that you thought your son needed you to support who he is. That's what, that's how you could help him more than anything else. And of course he came around and became very supportive and, and all that. But um, it's, it, it, it is that misconception of what's going to help you. Oh, I'm just going to hold on tighter to, to this thing, not realizing letting it go is actually the thing that will free you. So, you know, that's what we have to, that's what we have to continue to do is people's help each other feel that it's okay to let go of whatever those things are, whatever, whatever it might be that you're holding on to that's bringing you harm and bringing others harm along with it. Man, we're just circling right back to friendship and being a good friend. Sometimes being a good friend is saying that really hard truth of, hey, you know, uh, I know you think this, but let me explain to you why, you know, or, or something else. And that's a hard conversation. Those conversations are really difficult to, you know, really challenge someone's beliefs. And, you know, again, because beliefs go into thoughts which go into identity which is a sense of self and then personality all of these things happen just from beliefs and when you challenge the you know the the very lowest one of beliefs it's it really challenges their entire being because it influences so much and what we can do right now is really look at our beliefs and say hey is this serving everyone? Is this serving me? Or who is this serving? Because whenever we have beliefs that say, I'm better than you, or you're not as good as me, that's where this unresolved conflict happens. Why are these beliefs beliefs happening? Or what is the root cause of these beliefs? That's, I, I mean, I'm just kind of like, I'm trying to have our conversation, but also kind of look at it objectively. And it just keeps coming back to like, you know, the unresolved conflict, the this narrative of America and the relationships that we have with everyone involved. It's it, it's all of those things. And it's where do our, our beliefs lie? What is the American belief? It used to be the American dream. That's kind of what we were all sold as kids, you know, house, kids, wife, two, two car garage, you know, but is that really what we're all about? I mean, I don't think any of us are really looking for that. We're looking for happiness. We're looking for equality. We're looking for love. So what do you guys think, just curious as to what beliefs we should be portraying because we can influence the next generation. Like my biggest thing is what can I teach my kid to make this go away next generation? 
because you know that that's probably the best chance I have to to make it some real impact. What do you guys think for beliefs that could change to make an impact for the next generation? What can we teach our kids? I, mean, I would, I mean, I would start with inclusiveness of like like, like shat, shattering sort of the binary binary gender construct, right? Mm-hmm. You know, same with sexuality, you know, um, and because because you're not either skinny or fat, right? There's a gradient in between there. And it's the same thing for gender identity, for sexuality. There's the Kinsey scale, mm-hmm. right? You're not 100%. Red, perp- red, red purple scale. We'll yeah. discuss that. Or that future, one too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We got to go to that one. You know, and I think. That's a really good foundation where where if you if you get your kid to think about people come in this huge variety of sizes, shapes, you know, types, all sorts of you know how the the, the dynamics of the human the human experience, but you recognize how they've been marginalized, how they've been struck down by our systems of government uh, for as long as they have. I think it's really about like learning from and recognizing that. Hold on. Let me, let me collect my thoughts for a little bit. So if you, if you learn and you recognize that they were marginalized because they were not seen as whole, and that's a, that's a problem. And you identify a path on how to, how to resolve that, how to fix that and move forward. And you kind of instill this, this way of approach of problem solving thinking in them and that that's sort of really rooted in acknowledging the fuck ups of the past, the bad policies, the redlining, like, you know, we could go on and on about, about specific examples of systemic racism and marginalization in this country. But I think it comes down to really just having love and respect for your fellow human as well. Right. But, but, you know, I thought a lot about why, my dad and I, when we discuss politics, like what, because it, it's it's kind of crazy. Like I will I will make a claim about Trump or Republicans in the Senate, um, and he will say the exact same thing to me, but holding you know the Democrats or Pelosi or whoever accountable for it. And it kind of threw me for a loop. It made me question, like, well, what's real then? Like, if if I'm making a claim that the Republicans are they're really trying to to fuck up this country via this horrible policy they're they're trying to enact. And then you say that the Democrats are doing that too. Like, but there's no logic in there. There's like there's the logic breaks down. And so I sort of like question like what like <laughs> like what like what what truth was, but it, it ultimately I ended up deciding that or came to the realization that Critical thinking was just sort of like it, he lost his capacity for it. 
Mm. Right. And it, it, and it came, it came to this sort of like very emotional reflexive defenses of, well, you, like you say this, but I'm going to say that, you know, I am rubber and you are glue mm-hmm. to the schoolyard shit. Um, so in summary, I blame the schools. I mean, that's not a, a bad place to start because I think our education is super warped and very based on just antiquated things where we need to teach each other about coping mechanisms. We need to teach each other about empathy. We need to teach you know, acceptance and we need to teach how to do your taxes once you turn 18 because that's not taught in school. Um, like how to actually adult in adulthood. Um, There's a program down in Louisville of going to get a plug-in uh, f- uh, family that I work with uh, does uh, uh, something. They are um, behind this program called Compassionate Schools. Ooh, I like it. And in Louisville, throughout uh, the Louisville education system, these young, under 10, maybe a little below and a little above 10, they are taking classes in meditation oh, and all kinds of heart. right there in the school, compassionate schools and learning about compassion. And um, I'm just like, wow, that is really forward thinking. That is exactly just what you just said. But I think, I think once again, we have to go very broad on this one. And here I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to do a big one here. Guys, go for it to spot me. I'm going to bring pandemic in and everything we've been talking about and just say, I think the trick for the next generation is to not infect them with the same bullshit. I think the children are healthy. Is the, the key is don't infect them with all the stuff that makes them unhealthy. And that means don't give them bad food. Don't give them bad ideas. Don't feed them with prejudice, et cetera. The kids, and, and I'm, the reason I'm actually hopeful for the future, a friend of mine told the story. He's a very famous conductor. And he told me about his son and daughter that their first wedding was a gay wedding and their idea of wedding isn't a guy and a woman it's two people and that actually is i think the reality that most kids are just very uh apt to be open inclusive all these wonderful things that neil was talking about a moment ago i think that's how you how kids are going to be and I think our job is, it should always be as teachers, parents, friends, neighbors, et cetera, to, to live and create a world where the kids have the greatest chance of not being infected by the, all, the, all the bad things that make life terrible. Hatred's terrible. It, it's terrible for the, pers- for the hater. Everyone thinks it's a terrible thing for the person who's receiving the hate. The hater is in, a worse, in worse shape from the toxic brew that they're spewing. So, so, I think that makes the problem solvable. You know, it makes the problem solvable because if in a generation, if you could have one clean, uninfected generation, to use the pandemic language, then you will have a healthy society. We got to keep one generation clean. And maybe that's, that, that's the motto. Maybe we need to have a, a, a total program, societal program. One generation, one good generation, where we're going to agree on five fundamental human principles and, and we're going to make sure every kid gets those principles and maybe five other things, five, you know, maybe go back to Franklin Roosevelt's five, you know, his five fears concept. Let every kid not know poverty, uh, hunger, fear, fear of walking down the street, jogging, jogging, getting run over because some moron was fed a venomous 
diet of hate, whatever. And that's it. Just one generation. Let's get one generation right, and then we'll be fine. We don't have to, because we, we cannot undo all this past. All we can do is learn from it, insist that we don't repeat it. How many times are we going to hear that phrase? That's it. What did we learn? We've learned, we've gone to the brink. We had two world wars. Now we have a pandemic. We've almost had nuclear annihilation. We've had more than enough panics, more than enough crises, more than enough Protests ventures too. to the precipice. <laughs> yeah. Now we got to just decide to do something. Mm -hmm. And follow through. That's, and follow through. That's, that's our moment. We have to follow through now. And I, I think that we have to each identify. Um, I can just tell you, I have a problem with politics sometimes because I, the minute someone starts going at me with like pushing back on my views, I get so upset I, that literally I feel my, my blood pressure rising. I'm, I, I know if I were a politician, I'd have a heart attack in one, my first campaign. I would have a heart attack. I could never take all that bile and all that venom. So I think I could contribute in a different way. I think I'd be a better speechwriter in that case because I could sit in my quiet room and be idealistic. Whereas Neil, Neil looks like he could do anything and he'll somehow manage to keep his cool. Uh, maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe Neil's like getting busted up inside from all this. Neil's a Superman. I he don't can do, do so well with it. <laughs> so anyway, I, I think we could go on a very, very long time. Um, I don't know. I had a rough week. This was the way that uh, you guys brought brought this perfect ending to, like, it, it started early in the week, Neil, when you and I talked, and then I talked to some other friends, and it just kept building, and now I feel a little a little wiser, a little less angry, and now after this conversation, maybe a little more focused on on where I'm going to go next and what I need to do. So thanks. Oh, you're welcome, welcome, Albert. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, that that reminds me of one thing I sort of realized early on during the pandemic is, you know, I had a huge roller coaster of emotions. But I, one of the things I do when I'm feeling really low is I'll just reach out to close friends and even some friends I haven't talked to in a long time and just say something like, hey, was just thinking about you, checking in to see how you're doing. And then I'll just say something nice about him. Like, I really like how, you know, how you do this. Or I have fond memories of this time or just something like that. So I try to try to kind of create this positivity loop where I just put something into it and then have more positivity come back to me. And that makes me feel better and more confident. And then I feel more inclined to throw some more positivity out there. And then you just kind of let, let that thing build and try to keep the momentum of that positivity loop. And, you know, on the flip side, if you have a steady media diet of just a bunch of negativity and hatred and toxicity, that's the loop that you're going to be on. Right? Amen. Yes. And, you know, you are a product of your environment. And a lot of us are lucky enough to have, we, we can pick and choose a lot of our environment of what we're exposed to, people we spend time with, people we don't spend time with, you know, media that we consume, what we read, what we do, you know, everything. And, <clears throat> you know, scrolling through Instagram or Twitter because you just want to, like, kind of... Uh, 
just consume con- some catastrophe porn. Like, yeah, it, it might make you a little bit like more aware of what's going on in the world, but it's ultimately, it's going to affect you. It's not going to be good. I love that you use the word porn because it is addicting like porn. Totally. Is, yeah. Um, all of the catastrophe media. And I know I, um, I'd limit myself to the news. I go, Hey, 15 minutes, scroll away. Let's figure out what the heck's going on. And then boom, it's done. And thank goodness for screen time because I use it quite a bit. Like there are apps where I, even on Instagram, I have screen time for that because if I go too much, it'll be just too much for me. And and I'll actually end up feeling worse than if I would have just put it down. So the fact that equating like news media with porn and the addictive qualities is spot on, man. Uh, yeah. Neil, I want you to put that on a t-shirt positivity on a, on a loop wheel. T-shirt. Positivity loop on a loop wheel. Get it? Yeah. 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 So any, any, t- like any type of tubular loom, they go in circles. I've, <laughs> I've got my, I've got my tea and my sweatshirt. Awesome. I always think of Neil when I put on my loop wheel items, Oh, yeah, cool. I, I should have worn my Standard and Strange t-shirt one. today. <laughs> yeah, the Standard and Strange uh, tour, tour t-shirt. I love it, man. That, awesome. that makes me smile every time I see it, man. Like, it just cracks me up, man. I, I will stop laughing. But I am here. I know people can't see. I am supporting Liverpool. I've had this jersey for over three years. <laughs> You'll never walk alone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I had to get that in there because uh, it's 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 been too long. <laughs> Somebody sent me a video of of the no, "You'll Never Walk Alone" the stadium singing it. I was just like, "Whoa!" Yep. So yeah, it's it it's oh, embarrassing man. long how long <laughs> it's been there. But well, I'm when I sign off, I'm gonna make some uh, some cocktails and uh, celebrate our little birthday here at home. Not mine, my other halves. Um, thanks. Thanks, guys, once again. Uh, Neil, always welcome to come back anytime because you're just a great dude and keep doing what you're doing. Adam, a pleasure, my brother. Uh, anything else to be to uh, put a bow on this or this one wrapped up? Yeah, Neil, all you, man. Any uh, last closing remarks? Don't be a dick, wear a mask. <laughs> yeah. Second, <laughs> don't be a dick, wear a mask. <laughs> And this has been another episode of the Beer Vulnerability Beer Podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imbrado. And I'm Neil Barrett, Standard and Strange. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>